0: Hey, listeners, before we jump into today's show, uh, I want to give a thumbs up and another thank you to 4Eyes for sponsoring the show and providing us with the ability to give you a discount code on their factory install power meters. Now, I've used a uh, 4Eye power meter myself. I have them on both of my bikes or both of my bikes that like to go fast, not so much my drive my kid to school bike. Uh, I, and, uh, I'm a fan, you know, they're, they're simple to use. It's fairly straightforward to set up and they give me accurate numbers, which I can then do all of my training, uh, based on power. Um, I can use them to pace races and, uh, of course do any kind of the more nerdy aerodynamic testing or, um, metabolic testing, like in the couple of episodes that we've done in the, in the recent, uh, past with, uh, the good folks of Aerotune. So, I definitely cannot hesitate to recommend them from my own experience. And uh, now that you have a 20% off discount code uh, for any factory install options, there's a very good incentive for you to try them too.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew. And I'm Michael. And this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast.
0: Hey everyone, and uh, welcome back to Endurance Innovation. Joining us today for a repeat appearance is sleep expert, Dr. Amy Bender. And uh, listeners, you'll remember Dr. Bender from a show we did with her in February of this year, where she took us through uh, our current understanding of sleep science and gave some uh, great actionable information on how to improve sleep and uh, how sleep impacts performance. And uh, we had so much good feedback on that show and so many great questions that came from you that uh, we asked uh, Dr. Bender to come back on, and she kindly agreed. Amy, thank you very much for joining us again.
1: Thanks for having me. It's great to be here again. This is one of those topics that I think, uh, as athletes, everyone knows that uh, that we need a lot of sleep, or at least good quality sleep, to perform. So it's... Um, maybe it gets less attention than it deserves. But I think fundamentally, everyone knows the importance of this topic. And it's something that I think all of us are are super excited to talk about.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I think um, it's becoming more and more aware. Uh, there's a lot of awareness out there. There are lots of tracking devices, which starts the conversation
0: about sleep. And yeah, I hope I hope we're getting the message out there that sleep is important. Even a lot of the experts that we have on the show, when we talk, when we talk to coaches and we talk about um, effective training interventions, they all mention the the importance of recovery, and of course, sleep is the number one recovery tool. And um, very often, I'll hear folks who are you know at the top level of coaching and sports science talk about how increasing performance and increasing training volume, for example, is. Often more dependent on on the quality of the recovery, and r- really that's a proxy for the quality of sleep, uh, more than any of the other factors out there.
2: Absolutely, I think um, you know, like I'm working with an NBA team right now, and and they understand the importance. Everyone understands the importance, but it's like, how do you implement the behavior change? So that's kind of what we're talking about. Kind of getting creative, should we do uh, some kind of sleep contest where whoever <laughs> the most improved sleeper then wins you know a prize or whatever we're trying to hey, get cool. creative yeah with um, how do you implement this behavior change because it is really
1: challenging to do and i've noticed even with some of the wearable tech recently, uh, for example, Apple has a lot of uh, sleep tools that you can now use to tell you when to go to bed and it'll give you a, a wind down notification saying, oh, you should probably get away from any devices that have screens and start thinking about sleep and stop doing things that are stimulating and, and start to get in a relaxed mindset.
2: Mm, yeah, that's great. That's really great. Or you could you know, just do the old school set a bedtime alarm. Um, <laughs> that works too.
0: <laughs> yeah, but what, what's what's the fun in that? Um, so, uh, Amy, before we get into the, the questions that listeners have submitted, um, when we last spoke, you told us that you were about to start a new career, or at least a slightly different path in your career. And uh, the, I understand there's some really exciting developments on that front. Can you tell us about it?
2: Sure. I am the Director of Clinical Sleep Science at Cerebra Health. Uh, This is a startup sleep technology company focused on um, at-home sleep studies, so taking basically what you would do in a sleep lab and being able to do it at home as self-applied, so apply all these electrodes using videos, and then being able to get basically what you would get in a sleep lab, that's one of our main technologies But then also we have a lot of metrics, brainwave metrics related to sleep quality. Um, So not just looking at kind of the distribution stages of sleep across the night, but really looking at, you know, what happens after an awakening and how long does it take this person to get back into a deep state of sleep. So it's really exciting. Uh, We are also developing a, a forehead wearable, to capture a lot of these brainwave metrics and be able to use our sleep quality metrics, pair that with an app and do exactly what you're saying, like try and identify some of these behaviors that really impact a person's sleep. So, you know, there's Differences in the way you metabolize caffeine. Mm -hmm. Some people are slow metabolizers, some people are fast metabolizers. So, really be able to pinpoint what behaviors, what sleep hygiene techniques really do impact that person's sleep, uh, measuring the sleep quality with brain waves.
1: I think this is such an interesting development in the technology because I know that when I did a sleep study, like I've been a very poor sleeper most of my life and when i did a sleep study it was probably the single most uncomfortable night of sleep i've ever had yes uh knowing that you you get wired up so everything on your body is connected somewhere and even including i think my legs were wired up too to look for a restless leg or or things like that And uh, when you finally do get comfortable or if you're tossing and turning, you get this voice from above saying, stop rolling around. And then it reminds you (laughs) someone's actually watching you, which just makes it even harder to fall asleep. So being in the comfort of your own home, I think, is such a, a good step forward in getting good data from these studies. Because when I had the final consultation, they said, oh, you know, your sleep looks normal. And I thought, how can you actually tell that? I think I slept a total of about an hour and a half that night. And (laughs) I don't know what information you can get from it. But uh, I think this is such an exciting step forward.
2: It reminds me of a cartoon. And I don't know if we can put a link to the cartoon, but it's a cartoon of this person being hooked up with all these wires. And then there's two people sitting out, you know, standing outside their room, and they're just saying, like, now go to sleep. And it's like, (laughs) so uncomfortable, um, being in that type of environment, you know, it is, there are still a lot of wires involved depending on the studies, but for us, you know, we have a forehead that's looking at two EEG channels. Normally if you were in the lab, you would have, you know, seven or eight. Um, and then we're still measuring eye movements. We're still measuring chin activity. We're still measuring respiratory flow. And pit and leg movements as well. So it is, um, it isn't the most comfortable thing. But at least I think one advantage is it's in your home environment. And, you know, there has been research to show that when you're sleeping in a new environment, part of your brain is actually more awake than it would normally be if you're sleeping at home. So I think that is an advantage, but it's not perfect by any means. You know, there's still, it's still more challenging to sleep on your stomach because you have, you know, kind of like a remote control right here in the center of your chest that where all these wires are connecting. Um, But that's why we're developing this, this really small wearable as well. Um, You know, and, and we'll see where it goes. I think, I think, yeah, it is important to, Be able to naturally look at sleep across many, many days because there is also variability in the way you sleep from night to night. So it could be that when you're in the sleep lab, you're sleeping a lot worse or maybe you're not having as many apnea events. You know, there's a lot of variability in the way you sleep from night to night.
0: Yeah, and without with only one night you, that you don't have a baseline, right? Like you don't know what normal is. We keep hearing that from you know folks who do HRV studies or really any kind of any kind of uh, biometrics, where the the point is to get to a sort a certain steady state normal, right? And without without a baseline, then with only one you know kind of like n equals one reading, then you don't know what that normal is. Uh, absolutely.
1: And if we look at the development of wearable technology, for example, like 10 years ago, the technology we have now to monitor even the basics of sleep is so far ahead of what we had 10 years ago. So I would assume in 10 years time, something like this will become commonplace where we're able to really determine the quality of sleep rather than just time asleep. And I think we're already taking steps towards that. But uh, certainly your your new technology that you're working on is going to be a huge step in that direction.
2: Certainly. I mean, there are, you know, Aura Ring, Whoop, uh, Garmin, all of these have some metrics as it relates to sleep quality, but they are, um, you know, they're primarily looking at deep sleep versus REM sleep versus light sleep, maybe awakenings during the night. And we're really interested in more fine grain technology, you know, looking at the brainwave activity where sleep is generated from, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and being able to look at more of these EEG metrics that can really capture sleep quality.
0: Yeah, you kind of took the uh, the segue from, <laughs> segue and ran with it there because that was going to turn in the uh, the the EEG sensor into the first question from listeners, and that is to the efficacy of the current uh, sleep trackers that are on the market. But before I do that, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm not aware of anything that currently measures any commercial, you know, wearable devices that, that measure EEG. They're all sort of, you know, um, based on on uh, IMUs and, uh, and, you know, optical heart rate sensors and some temperature sensors, but nothing that measures um, EEG as far as I know. Is that right?
2: There is, there is a device out there, uh, dream called dream sleep and they do, they do some work with EEG.
0: Um,
2: it's, it's like across the forehead, uh, all the way down to the temples. So it can be a little bit uncomfortable for people, um, has been kind of the complaints that I hear, but they are, they are looking at brainwave activity and there aren't many out there that are doing that.
0: So as far as what is commercially available, what people may have heard uh, of, and, uh, you listed, you listed a number that I think our listeners probably are very familiar with, and that's Garmin and Polar and, uh, Suunto are the, you know, the wrist wearables. We've got whoop, that's another wrist wearable and the aura ring, which is of course a ring, um, of those in your experience, uh, first of all, do they, do they work? Do they, are they able to capture the data that they purport to? Um, and, uh, and then, uh, is there anything that we can do with that data?
2: In general, I mean, I think they're pretty good at capturing uh, sleep wake activity. They have also the different states of sleep. So light deep REM, um, you know, when we get down into those different stages of sleep, they become a little bit less accurate. Mm -hmm. I, I get people messaging me all the time. Um, it looks like I had five minutes of REM and you know, (laughs) I, uh, so I used to score sleep studies, looking at EEG, EEG, EEG signals, chin activity, eye movements during the night. Um, so I would score those sleep studies and and never once in a normal healthy sleeper did I not score a REM episode, you know, so, huh. um, and five minutes of REM. So there is, you have to kind of question the validity a little bit, but in general, when it's capturing total sleep time, you know, those kind of measurements that it's pretty accurate. It's just when you get more onto the staging level, sometimes, you know, it it works better for some people and not as well in other people. So we have to kind of be careful of that. Mm -hmm. I I think they're doing an amazing job at getting people aware of the importance Mm -hmm. of sleep and, you know, potentially bringing behavior change. I'm not sure, you know, that's like saying, um, is a scale measuring your weight? Like, is that causing you to lose weight? (laughs) You know, there's it cuts (laughs) both ways, I think. yeah there's a bit of a question there but um there are like i uh aura ring whoop uh fitbit those those are all kind of on the same same level i do like aura ring because of the fact that it allows uh temperature monitoring which i don't think the other two have Mm
0: -hmm.
2: um, and also light monitoring i'm not sure if whoop or fitbit have that capability uh, so, Aura Ring, yeah, Aura Ring is great. Um, but in general, you know, Aura, Whoop, Fitbit are all pretty much the same when it comes to accuracy. I personally have a Garmin Forerunner, and when I go to sleep, I take it off.
0: <laughs> <laughs> is so it because it's uncomfortable, or is it because you don't you don't trust the data that it provides for sleep tracking?
2: Well, Garmin in particular has been shown to not be as accurate as these other three. And, um, another thing I want to mention too, is that my Garmin, it, it, it has a green light that, that hits my skin. You know, I, I don't know the technical terms for that, but, um, in general, we found that there are clocks within the skin. And so body, body clocks within the skin and green and blue light impact, you know, um, your circadian rhythms, etc. I don't think there's been any. Yeah, I don't think there's been any research to show that it's disturbing your sleep or anything like that. But um, I do kind of wonder in the back of my mind, uh, <laughs> <laughs> could this be disturbing
0: my sleep a little bit? Interesting. I, uh, we, you know what, Ender, we need to have we need to have someone on the show that comes on that actually says something nice about Garmin because <laughs> uh, it <laughs> seems like every time we have someone on, we've been a little unkind. <laughs> <lot> <laughs> Yeah, well, you but know, it's, it's, it's
1: reality. I think what they're doing though, is just the, the awareness of all this. And, and you mentioned this, it's, people are talking about it. We're having this conversation now because of these devices that whether or not they're accurate, at least we're talking about it and we're thinking about quality mm-hmm. rather than quantity, because I think 15, 20 years ago, like I know when I was growing up, it was always just, Oh, I didn't get much sleep last night. It wasn't necessarily, Oh, I had a bad sleep or there was no way to quantify, you know, really much granularity beyond uh, whether or not you felt tired or how long you spent in bed. But um, yeah, as a first stab, <clears throat> I think this is a, a great effort and the technology will come along and in 10 years, we'll probably all have, you know, things that are internally wired into our brains and uh, Apple will be reading <laughs> our thoughts or Google. So
0: and one will uh, be reading it and
1: sharing it with the other. Yes, that's right. Or selling it to the other. <laughs> Yes,
2: absolutely. Um it reminds me of my coach. So I played college basketball and this was in the early 2000s and they would basically tell us, you know, oh make sure you get a good night's sleep and uh that was kind of the end of the conversation. You know, we had nutrition experts come in, we had an SNC coach. And no one ever really talked about the importance of sleep. And I think that's definitely changing, you know, now that uh, professional teams are hiring sleep specialists and, you know, really trying to give a little bit more personal advice.
0: Yeah, well, it's understood to be such a big deal in in, in performance these days, right? We talked, and uh, listeners, if you want uh, more info on that, go back to our last episode with uh, Amy Bender, uh, where she spoke about the the effects of sleep on performance, and we're not going to repeat that in here. But um, yeah, it was it was substantial. Uh, let's move on to um, the these these questions came from uh, a get a past guest of the show and a listener. Uh, Tara Posnikoff, who's a sports nutritionist, and she asks uh, about hormonal fluctuations in sleep. So what about core body temperature changes throughout the month for females and how does this impact sleep? Because of course, last time we, um, Dr. Bender told us about how um, there is a, a temperature cycle that, that matches up to some extent with the, uh, uh, the sleep cycle. And are there any interventions to get better sleep around ovulation and late follicular phase?
2: Mm, yeah, good question. Um, I'd highly recommend the app. I don't know. I don't think we talked about this last time, but I, I like the app uh, fitter woman. So it's FITR woman. Um, and they talk a lot about a lot about nutrition and how to optimize uh, with performance, but also just kind of busting a lot of sleep miss when it comes to PMS and, you know, uh, female athletes, et cetera. So I really like, I think people should check that, check that out. Uh, typically, you know, so the follicular phase is that first half of the cycle. When you first start your period, then you move into ovulation at the beginning or in the middle of the cycle. And then you go to the luteal luteal phase at the end of the cycle. And what we see is that at the end of that cycle, we see an increase in um, progesterone, which has been associated with higher temperature during that time. And so we will see a lot of sleep disturbance at the end of the cycle. Hmm. And it could be related to that more progesterone going on and a higher, higher temperature during the night, which could wake you up during the middle of the night. Uh, a lot of females are, you know, they're more tired at the end of their cycle, et cetera. So, uh, there is a relationship there. And I think just being aware of that and kind of doing some of those sleep hygiene techniques that we talked about previously, you know, limiting caffeine, increasing exercise, potentially just really trying to, uh, optimize sleep quality during that time. But then also, you know, You may wake up during the middle of the night more often. You could potentially supplement with a nap during the day to try and combat some of that. Hmm. But yeah, usually we see more uh, sleep disturbance occurring at the end of the cycle. Um, And, you know, I I don't know. I would recommend potentially taking a nap on uh, some of those days, which... I'm not sure if we talked about napping last time. I don't know. I, we're going
0: to talk al- about napping this time, though, because okay. that's, that's okay, one of the cool. questions. She's
1: doing all the segues for us.
0: <laughs> right? On <I mean,
1: laughs> oh, accident. There,
0: we, <laughs> we have sometimes folks who will just uh, basically present a lecture. Uh, Amy, like they'll just be like, they'll, they'll lead in from one topic to the next. And we just kind of sit back and and listen, which is, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. which is kind of fun. (laughs) Yep. Exactly. So you're kind of, you're kind of on that train too. Uh, But before we take, we, we get to naps, which I think is a, is a great one. This is a second question from Tara. Uh, And this has to do with sleep windows. And uh, listeners, again, we talked a little bit about sleep windows during our last episode. But uh, Tara wants to know um, if there is an ideal sleep window for uh, any individual and can you change it? And her specific example was uh, towards the end of the summer of 2020, Uh, She started waking up at 5 to 6 a.m. And normally she wakes up about an hour later, about 6 to 7. She prefers 6 to 7 as uh, 5 seems cruel and unnecessary in her words. Uh, I really tried to hone in on going to bed around 8, reading for half an hour, and then trying to fall asleep by 9. Um, This seemed to decrease sleep latency uh, and yield more positive sleep. But if she misses that window... Uh, she says she can't seem to get to sleep and spend a very restless few hours trying to coax herself into sleep, despite doing the breath work uh, and other meditation interventions. And for my own uh, my own case study, I, my sleep window is different than, than Tara's, but I feel the same thing. Like if I miss my my going to bedtime, I'm messed up. Like I I will struggle to fall asleep for another two two sometimes three hours. So. Usually that doesn't happen very often to me, but if I'm super busy or stressed or whatever, or I just, you know, <laughs> not paying attention, uh, this this does bite me in the butt also.
2: Yes. Wow. That is, that is a very great question. Um, we all differ in when we're releasing melatonin. So it, for example, if you're a night owl, you're going to be releasing melatonin much later than an early bird, for example. Mm-hmm. And so... We do want to try and align our sleep window with our biology if we can. A lot of times that's not possible because you have to get up early for work and or school, etc. So we can can make adjustments to that with light. So getting lots of light early on in the morning is going to help shift your rhythm to an earlier time. And then blocking light at night is going to help um, also with that shift if you're wanting to get to bed earlier. Now regarding, uh, there, there is a lot of research actually on the summer versus winter differences, but based on this example, I would assume that there could be light might play a role in this as well. Hmm. So in the summer we have more light uh, going on, you know, throughout the day, we just have a longer window of light. And actually in the winter, you know, you would expect with all the darkness that we would see less or or sorry, more sleep going on in the winter. But when we compare winter sleep versus summer sleep, we actually see less sleep during the winter. And we think that's because of the artificial lighting and, um, you know, just some of these cues are disturbing our cycles, our sleep cycles, et cetera. Um, And so when we, when we don't have a lot of light exposure throughout the day, having light on at night right before bedtime can really try and disturb your sleep. You know, it can disturb your sleep a lot. So um, there is isn't a lot of research in this, but I would say if you are naturally waking up at uh, 5 to 6 a.m., I I think that's a good thing. I think it means that you're probably getting the good quality, the good quantity, and, and also the right timing for you. And there are potential, you know, Um, seasonal changes that could impact that. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking that light uh, plays an important role in that. Now, when it comes to um, missing your window, so there are circadian rhythms throughout circadian means circa about, and then uh, dia is um, day. So about 24 hours Hmm. is what our circadian rhythms are typically. Um, so we will see fluctuations in alertness and drowsiness throughout the day. So it could be that you may have missed your initial sleep window and you may have kind of an increase in alertness that's impacting your ability to go to sleep. So that's why having a consistent sleep schedule is really important to, you know, go to bed roughly at about the same time, wake up roughly at about the the same time and try not to vary that too much. I usually say about 90 minutes. You don't want to vary it too much and kind of try and stick to that bedtime as much as you can. But then, you know, on the weekends, if you occasionally sleep in an hour or something, not a big deal. But the greater that the differences between your weekday sleep or your work sleep versus on your free days, the more kind of um, metabolic problems we see, mood problems we see, we call it social jet lag. So that's why it's really important to try and keep
1: that uh, bedtime and wake time consistent. So there was something I just read about the other day, and apologies that I'm kind of blindsiding you with this question, but uh, it was a study that was done in France recently in a cave. Um, so Ooh, you're probably familiar yes. with this, but uh, I think it was 40 days they spent underground. There was no no clocks and no electronics allowed to track the time, and they were they were doing work in the cave. They were cleaning it or something like that, and there was a whole bunch of people from different countries, but they were allowed to sleep whenever they felt like it. Um, And different people adopted different sleep schedules. And I think in general, most people thought they were underground for less time than they actually were. Uh, And their, their sleep schedule stretched out a little bit. So is this a study that you're very familiar with? Do you know a lot of the details on this?
2: I did see that study. I don't know if they have kind of the results out yet. I think these people just came out of the cave mm-hmm. within a couple of weeks, and um, and and I can kind of go into that a little bit. So what what they will likely find is that without these light cues, their circadian rhythm, uh, it, for people, it's typically over twenty four hours. So you know, twenty four point one hours, etc. So without the light cues telling us when to, you know, go to sleep and wake up. Um, it's likely in this instance that those people with clocks longer than 24 hours are just going to be delaying their bedtime, uh, further and further as, as the experiment goes on so that they could be completely flipped around, you know, because their circadian rhythm is longer than 24 hours and there are no light cues telling them when to wake up. Uh, that's, I'm assuming that's likely to be the results in this case, um, Versus someone who maybe has less than 24 hours uh, circadian rhythm, which is less common, Um, those people, you know, might go to bed a little bit earlier. So it just depends on your chronotype and how your body is kind of releasing that melatonin.
1: So maybe we'll have to have you, once they release the results from this, we'll have to have you on for a third episode to answer <laughs> probably some more listener questions and talk about that study.
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe. Sure. Um, I want to bring it back to the, well, we haven't left it too far behind, the uh, the sleep cycle. And one piece of advice that you gave on the in that first chat that we had, Amy, was to keep your wake time consistent. And since then, I I have an alarm that, I I keep on, you know, I have little kids and I take care of them in the morning. So they would wake me up regardless, probably. So it's not a huge difference, but I still have this alarm and I wake up either slightly before it goes off naturally or or when it goes off. And I found, and this is, you know, N equals one, very anecdotal, but I find that my sleep quality is better as a result of just have, like always waking up at six. You know, it's just, it, uh, it feels like, you know, I, I have fewer sleep disruptive episodes and there's, you know, a hundred other things going on in my life right now that, that are contributing factors, obviously, but, uh, uh, this one, uh, tip to keep you know, my sleep window more or less intact is has, has certainly worked for me.
2: That's great. That's amazing. Yeah. Typically we see that the wake time keeping that more consistent is, is better than keeping the bedtime consistent. It's just, it starts, you know, you start with that light exposure, Uh, there's different hormones being released. And so having that set wake time is really important for overall sleep quality and just letting your body know when to be awake and when to be asleep. And, um, I'm impressed that you actually use an alarm with little kids because, uh, I can never make it to the alarm. <laughs> no, they
0: sleep. They're, they're awesome little sleepers. Like they, they almost never, you know, they, they're four and six, almost four and six now. And uh, they sleep, you know, minus the occasional bedwetting accidents. <laughs> they'll sleep through the night and then they'll, uh, they'll usually wake up around 6.30 or 7. And uh, by then I've had time to wake up and walk the dog. So I'm, uh, yeah, they're, they're awesome that oh wow
2: yeah i have a i have a three-year-old and he every morning like he is up at about six fifteen or so yeah. so um yeah
0: he's We're, your alarm clock
2: we, yeah we have this uh this red light green light um system so it's it's like a stoplight oh, we, so <laughs> yeah, we put it in the hallway yeah we put in the hallway And so when they go to bed, it's red. And then when it hits seven o'clock, it turns green. So they know, like if it's red, my son will, they'll still come into my room and, you know, let me know he's awake, but he'll at least kind of go out into the hallway and play and wait for it. I mean, I won't say it's perfect, but um, (laughs) some days he will wait for it to turn green before they can, you know, go downstairs.
0: That's brilliant. Uh, our guy yeah, like I said our guys don't wake up super early but that's still pretty that's that's clever. Um, Okay, let's move on to genetics and the the roles of our genes uh, in our ability to sleep. Now, we we spoke a little bit before we started recording um, about the genes that uh, may affect sleep. And this is something that I know next to nothing about. Let's just say nothing for accuracy's sake. Um, (laughs) And this is another question from from Tara. Um, So she lists a couple of genes, the clock gene, SNP, and CRY1 SNP. Um, and, uh, we wanted to know, and she wanted to know, uh, what, uh, Dr. Bender's take on the role of genetics on your sleep cycle is.
2: There are, there are definitely clocks related, these clock genes, cry one, um, related to eveningness. So there, it runs in families a lot of the times where, you may get a lot of night owls within the same family due to these genes being passed down. Hmm. So there are um, there are definitely genes related to chronotype and eveningness in particular. There are also genes related to being a short sleeper or not. So there was this one um, called NPSR1, and they studied a family, so a father-son duo who were getting they're getting like four and a half and five and a half hours of sleep per night. And they had no memory impairments whatsoever. Hmm. They um, were performing well. They weren't sleepy during the day. And they actually looked at how often this gene occurs, this gene mutation occurs within the population. And they found that literally one in 4 million people have, this, (laughs) this, <laughs> this, uh, mutation. So the likelihood that it's you is probably <laughs> pretty slim. Um, so I wouldn't bank on, there's a lot of people out there that think, Oh, I'm, I'm just a short sleeper. But in reality, you know, we want to be getting minimum of seven hours per night. There's a, probably a less than 1% chance when you look at the population that you are a short sleeper. Um, But what happens is in the brain, um, our prefrontal cortex is deactivated with sleep deprivation. And so we're, 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 we have judgment problems and we think that we're performing fine with this sleep deprivation. But when we look at these studies in sleep deprivation, looking at their performance, looking at how they're rating their performance, they're rating their performance absolutely fine. But when you look at their objective performance, it is tanking. You <laughs> so know? it exacerbates
0: so, the Dunning-Kruger curve for these uh, people.
2: Absolutely, yes. Huh.
0: Maybe maybe the whole world is just sleep deprived right now. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. That's my that's my working hypothesis. It's, it's now.
2: about about a quarter to a third of people out there aren't getting that seven hours.
0: Huh. I remember there was a, an X Files episode where there was like the, it was like one of the Monster of the Week episodes where the 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 you know the the culprit was somebody who was genetically modified and didn't need sleep and he developed all these superpowers. That's my contribution <laughs> in this conversation
1: that, that <laughs> X Files covered it. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go watch that when we're done. Yeah, yeah, it's on yeah, Netflix. Yeah, me too.
2: I mean. Me too. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not a good message though. We don't we don't want that. I think there was
0: some nefarious government lab involved, so probably not applicable to most of us.
1: So, is there a gene that's the opposite of that that for people who need to sleep more and need that extra Mm. rest?
0: Mm -hmm.
2: That's a good question. Um, I'm not sure. It's called having kids. I would assume there would be something out there. I'm not aware of the particular gene that might be involved in that, but I would I would assume that there is a case of
1: a long sleeper gene as well. And building on the question, like the short sleeper gene question, if we're relying on sleep to recover, um, what is it that allows people to recover faster? And is that something... And maybe that's well beyond what the science is able to currently tell us. But uh, I just wonder, you know, is there anything that can be uh, manipulated or learned or applied from those people to to help people who don't get sufficient sleep?
2: Yeah, it, it seems to be related to the homeostatic process. So what that means, there's two processes that regulate our sleep, the circadian rhythm, which we already talked about, and the homeostatic process, which is basically the longer you're awake, the more adenosine builds up in the brain and the sleepier that sleepier you get. So if you pull an all-nighter, you have a lot of adenosine built up in the brain, and then it takes you longer to recover from that because it has to, you know, dissipate all of that adenosine buildup. And um, more adenosine buildup leads to deeper sleep as well. So there's kind of a sleep architecture change. So it could be that short sleepers are dissipating their homeostatic getting rid of that adenosine buildup in the brain quicker than a longer sleeper and that would be my
1: hypothesis so those just digging into this a little bit more those would be the markers for it but i'm wondering about um like the actual restorative properties of sleep like in terms of recovering like you may uh dissipate the adenosine faster but um what would actually lead to like, what would be the physical process or mental process that leads to more recovery?
2: Um, so it correlates with, uh, so adenosine correlates with deep sleep and in deep sleep, we see more growth hormone being released, tissues being repaired, uh, memories being pruned. Um, potentially more glymphatic flow out of the brain that is getting rid of some of those toxins. So it's probably related to many of those factors going on. And that's, um, you know, those, those factors are related to better sleep quality and clearing, clearing out some of that adenosine faster.
1: Very interesting. Okay my brain is uh spinning on this one, obviously, most of the words you said i don't fully understand, but uh that's i think neither major, do I <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just that makes kidding. me feel a bit better <laughs> um so uh, Dr. Bender, the last thing we want to touch on is napping uh even uh listeners, I promise that we get back to it and and napping i think is uh is a very important you know tool in the in the proverbial toolbox for folks who for one reason or another. Just can't get the minimum number of sleep during the week, and we did talk about napping a little bit uh, in our in our first episode that I keep referring to. Um, but uh, the question today is, uh, what is it that makes some people better at it uh, than others, and uh, can you train yourself to become a better napper? Because as I just mentioned, it is a quite a useful ability to have.
2: Yes, I think I think you can train yourself. I don't think it's something like a natural talent that you have. Um, <laughs> Although some Excellent people, at napping. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm pretty good at napping actually. Like uh, if I try and nap, um, I'm usually asleep within, you know, 15 minutes or so, which maybe I is not a, a good thing. I took a nap before our
0: interview today.
2: Oh, nice. Nice. Well, Cause so I'm also probably... two hours ahead of
0: you guys. So I was, it was like the, the perfect spot.
2: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, you're probably your cognitive function is just dominating us here right now. <laughs> you would you um, would
0: think so. But maybe I'm just like closer to closer to baseline than I was. earlier.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think I think um, having some techniques to help you nap is is good. So for example, you know, we can kind of get anxious about what's going on during the day. What else do I have to do, have to do? So, have writing a to do list before a nap kind of just offloads some of those thoughts, mm-hmm. puts them on paper, so that when you wake up, you know you can get on with your day and, um, you know, get on with your list or whatever. So that could be an idea for people to help them nap easier. Another one might be. Maybe wearing sunglasses, you know, 30 minutes before you want to take a nap because that's kind of light tells our brain to wake up. So if we're wearing dark sunglasses before a nap, it may prepare you better for that nap and be able to fall asleep easy. Uh, Having breathing techniques, having cognitive techniques. um, So the 478 breathing technique, people can look into that. The cognitive shuffle, which I might have talked about last time. So having some of those techniques to help you fall asleep will help as well. And then I think, you know, if you don't fall asleep, there is still value in laying there with your eyes closed. Um, You know, that's going to activate the parasympathetic nervous system, your relaxation system. So there is some value even if you can't fall asleep.
1: I really like the sunglasses tip because then um, you know if you're out in public you can fall asleep and no one necessarily knows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Or if you're sitting in a school lecture or something like that.
2: There you go. There you go. I just kind of made that one up on the fly, um, but I think it I think it could be useful because you know the light is telling our brain to wake up.
0: Mm-hmm. One thing that I found, and I'm not able to do it nearly as often as I used to when you know the kids were in school, but uh, uh, I would just. You know, uh, allow enough slack in my schedule. And again, that also didn't, wasn't always possible, but so that I could have like 30, 40 minutes for a snooze. And if I felt tired, I would take it. And if I didn't, I didn't. And, you know, usually kind of midday. And I remember you telling us last time that ideally it's, the nap is, you know, twelve hours plus or minus from the middle of your normal sleep cycle, so that it's as far away from your, you know, your your the middle of your sleep as possible. Um, and so, if I felt tired in the middle of the day, which you know for me it was anywhere from like noon to two, then I would go take a nap, and um, and it was it was, it, I it got into a routine, like it became part of my my like sleep. Um, my overall sleep, uh, routine that the nap was, was just my midday siesta. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it's not, like I said, it's not as, as possible as it used to be, but it worked well when I had the luxury of it.
1: And I know there were, there were companies as well that were kind of leaning into this and I can't recall if we talked about this last time, but, uh, Google I know has nap rooms or at least they had nap rooms back when people went into offices, but, um, I think there's, you know, Google gets a lot of criticism for having like playgrounds built into their offices. But I think there's there's some interesting learnings that we can take from, from some of the things that they're testing and playing around with, because it's maybe not a bad idea if your employees are a little bit fresher going into meetings. Uh, they might be more creative and more thoughtful rather than just kind of trudging through the day, barely making it through.
2: Yes, absolutely. There's a number of companies out there who are creating nap rooms, having nap pods, there's universities, you'll see nap pods pop up on campus. And you know, they're absolutely jam packed uh, in the <laughs> afternoon. So yeah, I mean, the the research shows that napping, you're more productive, you know, with a nap versus not a nap. And even if you're getting a normal amount of nighttime sleep, so Um, it is, it does make you more productive. It does make you more alert. It boosts your mood. So having that, I I really like having that option to nap, like having a time for napping and if you're tired to take it. And I think it's also a strategy to make you less anxious if you are having a, if you did have a poor night's sleep. Mm -hmm. So if your child woke you up during the middle of the night. You know, you aren't as anxious because you do have that spot during the day where you can kind of make up for some of that lost sleep. And it doesn't have to be an hour. You know, it could be even 10 minutes is beneficial.
1: I'm going to start putting that in my calendar at work so that people don't interrupt my nap time. <laughs> <laughs> nap time.
0: <laughs> Andrew's nap time. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I find I find the really short ones really restorative too. And I think this is, I believe this is something that you told us last time we spoke uh, that, You know, when you look at sleep quantity, we've talked a little bit about quality, but quantity, you look at it on a kind of a, some kind of moving average, maybe seven day. And uh, you said that the naps add to your total. They absolutely are worthwhile sleep minutes and hours. And uh, if you're not getting enough that the nap can really top things up for you.
2: Absolutely. Yes.
0: Yeah. That's the only way that I get even close to the the minimum recommended.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Supplement with that nap.
0: That's it. That's it.
1: This has been very informative once again. And sleep is something I'm always happy to talk about. I think it's something, as I kind of let off the conversation, it's something that's very important to athletes and something that's not receiving the attention it needs. So anything Mm -hmm. we can contribute to that ongoing conversation, I'm happy to, uh, to continue talking about this.
0: All right, everyone. Well, thank you very much for listening. And as always, if you've enjoyed the show, uh, please do give us a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever it is you get your podcasts or most places you can only give us ratings and not reviews. So other podcast aggregators, you go fix that for yourselves. Um, and uh, thank you again to Dr. Amy Bender. And uh, if you folks still have some questions for us or for, uh, for Dr. Bender, then send them through and then we'll, we'll try to twist our arm to come back for a third
1: session.
2: Sounds good. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been great chatting with you guys again. And keep me posted if you want to do a part three.
1: Absolutely. And congratulations on your your new position as well. And we look forward to hearing more about that.
2: Thank you. Yeah.
1: Especially once there's
0: a, a, com- a consumer device, then we we definitely want to have you back on to talk about it and then. Mm. Tell us where we can get one because you know we we like strapping sensors to ourselves <laughs> in the name of science <laughs> yeah it may
2: it may take a little while but i'll keep you posted